when it takes your computer so long to load that there was another 10 MLS games. It's that so MLS. <laughs> a li- uh, North American soccer podcast with myself, Nick Thornton, and with me is Andrew Bates. Andrew, how are you doing over there? Uh, I'm doing okay. My computer uh, was presumptive negative for operation, mm-hmm. but a second and third and fourth and fifth test ultimately proved that it will positively be operating. Um, well, we've the... all been there. <laughs> uh, it's it's been good. I um, I got I did this thing. You heard of the the they were advertising it on the CPL uh, broadcast the the All State Soccer Show. No, I don't know anything about. This. It was like a it was like a soccer convention that they did. I think first last year or in twenty eighteen, and they tried to do a digital version. And they had meet and greets. So I got to have a little soccer meet and greet with Diane Matheson, uh, Victor Wanyama, and Karina LeBlanc, which were all really very fun. Awesome. That's super cool. I I asked Diane Matheson. I went and was trying to think of, like, the best, smartest, uh, most interesting question. Like deep soccer nerd cut question. I looked at uh, I looked at her goal in the bronze medal game in 2012 against France, and I see that she's she's pointing and uh, a couple of times before the run up. But I'm like just thinking, does she just think I know where the line is and I can do it? So I asked, "You're pointing. What were you pointing at?" She's like, "I was pointing." Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It I was, was about to make a joke about how <laughs> really I was well. going to imitate you being like, uh, in uh, 2012 on July 7th. <laughs> and sure enough, oh, that's amazing. She was like, I wasn't, I probably was just, you know, um, I was probably like, I you just couldn't need to really, know what you were pointing at. You probably, you couldn't really talk to people. So I was probably just pointing instead of yelling. But she was great. She was she was a treat to talk to, as were the other two, and it was uh, it was very fun. Um, how are you? How are things uh, going with your uh, your injury recovery? Uh, so, you, had I had my surgery the last time we did a show? I can't remember. No, I think you were just going into it. Right, right, right. So that has happened, obviously. Um, and aside from having a pretty nasty fall on my leg when it was outside of the boot, which it's not supposed to be, it was my own fault, and sending myself to the emergency room, it's doing pretty good. Um, I feel like it's healing faster than maybe they said it would. I'm trying to not get my hopes up, but, like, I'm not supposed to be putting any weight on it. But you know when you can just kind of, like, tell? Uh like you know you're you're in your body so i've been like kind of putting some weight on and on like the last two days i've just been walking around in in my boot so i gotta talk to a a physio friend of mine and see what's up there if i'm really like taking a big risk here but like it feels good like i can't flex it much but i can put weight on it shuffle around which honestly when you're stuck inside uh it makes a big difference to be able to like easily somewhat easily get from room to room I would believe that. Um, since um, we last talked to people, there have been 947 MLS games. <laughs> and, um, so, and and we have CanPL to talk about as well. So what we are going to try to do, and we've done this a few times on the show, is we're going to try to go team by team and do a bit of like a state of the nation, but state of the teams 
um, so that we can do not a Ken Burns 10 plus hour documentary style <laughs> breakdown of all the games that have happened, which like goes back into uh, the first week of September, I believe, and maybe even some August games. So that's, yes. that's our plan of attack. Yeah, it was just one of those scenarios. I think uh, both because, you know, um, I was also out on vacation on that time and stuff, but I think it is something to do with the fall schedule of MLS games where it's like there's there's a new match day like every four days. Well, there was also that one day when there was actually ten matches, and that that's just like, <laughs> guys, <laughs> come on, we got a job to do here. Uh, we're, we're, luckily, we're here. we have both actually watched a considerable amount of the game, so we can talk with some authority about what happened. I loaded so much soccer into my brain. <laughs> um, we we can call it like the NWSL. It's like the fall series. It's the That's So MLS fall series. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, first up, we have main offender number one, Atlanta United. Oh, it's been uh, it's been quite the time for them. They uh, they had um, Pity Martinez has gone. Um, they had already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. You can say. They had already uh, uh, lost their coach, and, and we're looking for a new direction. And and they were not doing particularly well before Pity left, but they are absolutely in a uh, a pickle right now for sure yeah i was gonna say uh pity also got two assists for his new club today i believe <laughs> so sometimes he just need a change of scenery i mean i think this the the sale was the the right idea um it's a very expensive player to have that's just not producing and i mean Obviously, the results have not gone their way since he's left, but I don't really see them having done much better with him. Um, he, he really does seem like one of those very talented players that needs a very talented coach to, you know, help him develop and do what he needs to do. I don't know that the style of Atlanta, at least the DeBoer era style, really suited him either. But now they, mm-hmm. they really are in this this difficult situation. And for me, you know, looking at most of their games, it's there's flashes of the old Atlanta there. It's not like they've completely fallen off the map. Offensively, they're still able to turn the gears. They're still scoring some goals as well. Um, the big thing for me has been that they're just struggling so much to press their opponents and to man-mark in their own box. Um you know, just seeing how much space they're affording at attacking players coming against them is really just kind of like head scratching. Like how how did they end up in this position? A team that was all about pressure just seems to sit back um, and invite it. I mean, for me, the two one loss to Inter Miami, they're play- Atlanta's playing with a, a really high line similar to what LAFC does. But then when you think about it in the context of this whole season, you think well. I mean, Atlanta also sold their best defenders. You know, mm-hmm. three, three. I believe three of the defenders that won them a cup are gone. And, you know, now they're trying to cover up the cracks a bit. But I still think their back line needs a lot of support by their midfielders and their forwards when they're defending to actually put pressure on the player with the ball. 
um, because it's just been remarkably easy for teams to score against them. And, you know, you think when you've got a goalkeeper like Brad Guzan, who's basically just been picking the ball out of the net for the last two months, <sighs> it's it's like I, I feel for Atlanta United fans because this is beyond just like, oh, your championship team that spends all the money is having a little dip. It's like this is a real kind of like existential crisis for this team about what they want to do now. Um I think initially they thought like, oh, we'll just like tighten things up at the back a bit and be a bit more of a defending team and then we'll be amazing. And in the process, it's like they've completely lost their way. I think if I could say one charitable thing, I mean, Those not a lot of charitable people. Things. Nope. But I was going to say not a lot of people have the, the uh, not a lot of people have a game plan for being like, ah, yes, here's exactly how we'll replace um, Joseph Martinez if we don't have access to him. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, maybe it's too early to say, but I always look at this idea of, of I think that you're absolutely right to, to note that they are not pressing. And, and that's kind of what I thought when I saw the, the 4-2 loss to, uh, to Nashville, mm-hmm. um, which was that it wasn't just... Like Joseph's not here, Pity's not here, so we've we've switched to the attacking focus to Ezekiel Barco, and he's not doing the best job of it. Um, and I don't necessarily think he is like you know doing terribly, but the uh, the whole like notion of how they do their ball movement is um, seems misaligned at the at the moment. And yeah. Julian Gressel. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to bring up old stuff, but, um, but if you're talking about who they sold and and who they are, um, relying to get up the the pitch, they had they were using a um, sort of like a a, a one four one four against Nashville, yeah. and everything relied on Jeff Laurentiewicz, who is great and who got a goal, mm. um, but they ultimately need. Uh, they ultimately need more because Barco is not creating enough to be sort of the sole creative engine and, and Adam John is great, but he is not the same in terms of being the focus. So like they need to find, they need to like, it's, it's beyond what, like, I, I wonder if you just need the new manager right in right away because they are whatever they're doing strategically or whatever they're doing tactically is not it's it seems to be sort of loaded from a generic format as opposed to the Atlanta United format that we yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Right, which brings us to a, another team that's really kind of I mean, I don't know about you, but I still scratch my head when I watch Chicago play and I really we haven't talked a ton about Chicago. We certainly haven't said a ton of nice things about Chicago. (laughs) So I really wanted to focus on them a little bit more. I mean, they did get, I mean, I think their best result recently is the 2-2 draw with Columbus, which it should be said, like, Columbus has only allowed two goals this entire season. So good on Chicago for scoring those goals. (laughs) But I just fail to see what the bigger picture is with them. Like, I don't understand what the game plan is. I don't understand what the system is. And they can occasionally pull out a a bit of a result. 
um, or at least score a goal or two. But it, I just it it's like what what's the Chicago Fire brand? Like you rebranded, but you didn't tell the players that. I think it is when I see these games. I think it is like sort of absolutely a work in progress. They lit up Cincinnati three nothing, and then nil nilled them in the comeback match to that. Yeah. Um, I think that if I have to look, it's, um, I'm just want to make sure that I have the, uh, the scorers right. Um, I'm liking, uh, Herbers for them. I'm liking Aliceta for them, which is good. Um, but I think that it's just what you're saying that the, the, Trying to figure out what they are and where they're coming from right now is challenging. They've, they've, they, it, it, they wanted to make this sort of big club refresh with their logo and with Soldier Field, and they weren't able to to make the Soldier Field um, debut until a couple of weeks ago. Uh, of course, it is a lot differently than they would have planned when they, you know, uh, first thought of moving back downtown into Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, I don't hate what I'm seeing here. I I think that it's I think that it's interesting. I think it is more interesting than Chicago last year. Um, but it certainly seems uneven. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they're definitely an improved side, and and they feel like a very different side. But it still feels like it lacks a bit of an identity. I do love that they've been very attacking out of the gate, and I like that. I think that's something that. As a team that's struggling, you you kind of need to do sometimes. Like it's better to throw some caution to the wind and go up two nil, and then you know have the rest of the game to give up that lead, than sort of like slowly ease your way into a game, which especially in their game against Columbus could have been a real disaster for them. So yeah, n- not a, a write off, but it, kind of a, also still an underwhelming story for them at this point. I think that you they're a team where you look at them and you know uh the in the in that two two draw they score twice by the fourteenth minute and it's like, hey, whoa, wow. Yeah. This is not what I've expected this this is not what I expect to see from them, but they just weren't able to hold it through. No, and and it also doesn't tell us a lot because given their opponent in Columbus, I'm kinda like, Well that's forgivable. Like any team in the league could go up two nil against Columbus and then lose that lead. <laughs> so, Chicago, I mean, actually, any team couldn't go up 2-0 against them. So the fact that Chicago got two goals in, I'm like, that's that's good. That should have been good for the confidence, but I, I don't believe they won their their game after that. So, Because of the, um, the focus on sort of the series games, I ha- haven't spent a lot of time looking at the table, and uh, I was just like, wow, how about that, Columbus? Yeah, yeah, truly. Well, and it, it yeah, well, and we'll get to them. <laughs> yes. Um, FC Cincinnati, where, where to, what, what to say about poor old FC Cincinnati? Um, I honestly, and this will happen when we have a, a, a period of games with a couple of, um, of nil-nil draws, but it really seems hard to uh well obviously because of the draws they're doing better than last year but it's like 
Like, and I think that that's something people have noted where at the very least, like, they're not conceding that much. Um, mm-hmm. or they're not conceding as much. Um, even if they're also not scoring. Um, it, it, which shows some improvement, but I don't really have a lot to, I, I can't really think of a lot in terms of like, how did this get better? How did this? Yeah. What, 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 what is the like new look or, or new approach that's working better? for them? <laughs> yeah. I like, mean... uh, I think they cleaned house a little bit, and, and they they focused on on getting in. I think they've better attacking players for sure this season. Um, I mean, overall, I think they're actually much better than they have been at points last season and, and this season. But it's still just not re- again. It's not really a finished product. Um, you know, they they lost two one to NYC, and I thought they looked pretty okay against a very good side. Um, and I thought probably they deserved a draw. I don't, I think that first goal, uh, I think it was Ring that scored it, looked pretty offside, but it was allowed, which fair enough. Like it's, it's up to you at that point. It's early enough on in the game that you are still in control of your own destiny. But I thought that was an okay result. And then, you know, they, they lost to Columbus crew, which lots of people are doing very in fashion at the moment. So I can forgive that, but it's just this just really sloppy defending at times. Um, that being said, then they drew with Chicago. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I think for me, I'm still what I'm, I'm waiting for in, in Cincinnati is just the chaos to leave a little bit. Like it, it really is pretty chaotic defending a lot of the time still. And at this point with, you know, if, fairly consistent defensive side to your team that has to be better that that really needs to be to to be locked down certainly defensively they're better than they have been so it's better um it's got a long way to go for me still you uh you look at three nothings you know and when i when we were just talking about chicago and you see that they you know they beat Cincinnati three nothing they're still kind of the team where you look at it and think ah well they did win three nothing but it was since yeah, um, yeah. and they and they had that same number to uh Columbus but you know to hold New York to something is a is a good result. Um what do you think of how Columbus have been doing? I mean, it's pretty hard to argue with the on-field product outside of um conceding two goals to Chicago. They've re- barely had a blemish. Um I mean, Caleb Porter's set up arguably the best defense in MLS. Well, I mean, you can't argue with that right now. Um, I mean, four goals conceded this season is jaw-dropping. Like, Oh, my God. It's in, it, When I first saw the goals against when it was still two, I was like, that's not right. Like, there's just no way. And I like I actually started <laughs> looking at results, and I was like, what? what is ha- Did they just, like, put bricks across the net? But it, it comes from the way that Caleb Porter sets up his team. And, he, I mean, he's not my favorite guy in the world for obvious reasons. But as a coach, he just – when you talk about a system being instilled in a team, every single player is bought in. And it, it does take him some time. You know, Columbus had their struggles last year. But whatever he did in the off season, whatever he's training them on is, is certainly working. Um I think it also helps that you have guys like Pedro Santos kind of coming back to life. He's a, had a bit of a rocky season, but, um, you know, he's he's been much better. 
And I mean, Yassi Zardas has basically just adopted this attitude of like, if I decide it's going in the net, it's going in the net. And he's, he's just scoring absurd goals. And if he's anywhere near the ball, it seems to go in. So, I mean, if you're defensively the best in the league and your main striker is scoring goals pretty much every game, that's a really good uh, a recipe, you know? But I, I really still think it's it's Caleb Porter's system and the way he's set up his team. Um, you know, they, they play very compact. Um, they're very aggressive on and off the ball. Um, it, it's, as we've seen, incredibly difficult to score against them. I, I think that it's going to be very hard to to knock them out of that top spot in the East. Zardes uh, seems to, it really feels like a lot of what's going on for him in 2020 is is he has this negative <laughs> reputation because of the national team. And it almost feels like every time that he comes on uh, in that 2-2 draw, was he a substitute or did he start? He, it, always, it always seems like he is looking to grab it. Like, he is a player who, even though he's not going to score every game, can feel like he is almost in a fit of peak grabbing games and changing them just yeah. to prove that he can. Yeah, as he did against uh, Chicago. And I think his goal was in the 82nd minute, 88th minute, I think. So, yeah, it's like it's exactly what you you need as a, as a team. And, I mean, we obviously we, we have a lot of the time, a lot of time for the crew here and... I'm just ecstatic for the fans that they this year, especially they really have the team they deserve. That is, it's uh it is good to see the, I think that the thing, you know, you look at, uh, this is where I was thinking of against Cincinnati. He comes in on the 62 scores on 74 and scores again on 71. There you go. Just like, That'll do just it. like in case you forgot, in case like, like, I'm sure that there must have been a reason for him not to start, but it's like you know, as if to just say, like, I'm here. Let's well, let me put my stamp on this. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing to bear in mind, and and if folks have missed some of the MLS action, then you're certainly forgiven. But there's just been so many games in such a short period of time for everyone. No club mm-hmm. has escaped, you know, playing two what essentially works out to be almost three games a week at times. So you know, full credit to the teams that are showing the depth and, and able to get consistent results through that. But it, it is a grinding schedule right now. And, and also one where, you know, although fitness shouldn't be as much of an issue now, you know, training is still disrupted. People are flying all over the place for games. Um, it, it's really challenging. And that, and I'm just saying that like that just adds to how good Columbus has been because the odds have still been stacked against them too. But consistently, you know, their players have shown a really high level of fitness, just mental focus. Um, and they seem to kind of have the bit between their teeth at this point. Um, Who we got next? We got our good old buddies, Colorado Rapids, who, as ever, um, really like scoring goals and are able to do so, but are still just barely scraping themselves off the bottom of the table. Um, right now I feel like the Rapids big thing is like, if you're not winning games, then don't be losing. And the, the Rapids have done a good job of, of holding on a little bit more and eking out some draws, which 
you know, don't mean a ton in the grand scheme of things and have kept them near the bottom of the table. But then, of course, you can just turn on the taps. And if you're going to beat a team 5 nothing, as they did against RSL, uh, all of a sudden you can see your fortunes improve and you climb up the table. So I overall, the Rapids are still a pretty chaotic team. Chaotic? Good, though. And I still <laughs> enjoy watching them, and I still think they can play spoilers to a, a lot of teams above them. Um, Kai Kamara has found his rhythm. He's been scoring sort of on an every-other-game basis. Um, I feel like there was their 1-1 draw against Houston was kind of like the perfect symbol for where they're at right now. It's sloppy defending, but it's not terrible. <laughs> and they're just putting shots on frame. And, you know, for teams that struggle, uh, like our <laughs> our favorite team... <laughs> It, like mm-hmm. if you're not winning games and, and or you're you're struggling and you're letting in goals, you you need to be peppering your opponents with shots, just as many as you can. Like I I really firmly believe that that like you've got nothing to lose, so so just go for it. And Colorado's I think really embraced that where they're creating lots of opportunities. So even when things don't quite come off for them. It, no team is settled playing against them because they know that they can break. They know that they can counter. They know that they've got three, four guys that love scoring goals. Um, you know, the Rapids, sure, you can go there and be like, all right, we might get some points out of this. But if, <laughs> as I think as RSL saw, also things can go really wrong really quickly for you. I think that with some of those draws, even just the, the act of continuing to push and get the result is something that can galvanize the team and... and... It shows something positive in the team, as you, as you say about continuing to put things on on frame. Lawless Abubakar scoring the the equalizing goal um, in one of those one one draws. Uh, I think against oh I had it right up and then I uh, moved away from it. Um, he scored in one of those one one draws, and then uh, Kamara did the the tie up um, in in against uh, San Jose. Um, you see a lot of, you know, positive fight. With the RSL game, I think that there are a number of games in this stretch of uh, of time in MLS that has just made me think that, again, nothing seems predictable because you have, um, like, you have RSL going 4-4 against Portland, like, absolutely trading... Uh, trading punches with some of the best teams in the league, and then they turn around and get lit up for five by Colorado. And I think, what the heck is happening in this league? Yeah, yeah, a little, a little all over the place. But I mean, overall, I think you know, if you're a, a Rapids fan, it's it's a little bit better than it was last season, and at least it's entertaining soccer, <laughs> like. If nothing else, they're going to put on a bit of a show. It looks like a lot of the time the team has really gelled. It looks like they actually enjoy playing soccer together, which I don't think can ever be overlooked. Um, yeah. Which takes us to uh, another team that's been very kind of middle middle of the pack in FC Dallas. Now, FC Dallas has, has had a time, <laughs> to put it mildly. So... How do you how do you assess how do you possibly begin to assess where FC Dallas is at right now? I think with a lot of teams, 
Uh, certainly the first three results since they came back, and, and some of them we talked about, but the two, the first two against Nashville. But they're... Um, Oddly, oddly enough, Nashville doesn't really feel like they've had this problem, but it feels like Dallas is a little bit behind everybody else getting sort of getting adjusted to stuff. Um, when you look at the... I think that some of it has been interesting. Uh, Fafa Pico has been doing great for them in, in their sort of... Uh, in, in his new environment. Uh, you look at the the three one and in the way that they were able to hold on uh through the second half um and seal it with the penalty kick for Meadow Ziegler was a great result for them. Um but they have also had uh some challenges. And their reverse match against Minnesota was one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they've brought in um uh, this Colombian midfielder Andres uh, Recuarte who scored just a, a stunning goal for them. And, and that is hopefully a sign of good things to come. But, you know, they they were pulled out of the MLS's back tournament um, shortly thereafter, or was it during that whole thing? Gonzalez had his contract terminated. And um, and now Cobra's. Andrasic. Just... Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Andrasic has gone I back to the Czech Republic. I don't know his nickname. Ah uh, yes, that's a that's a that's a tough that's a tough scenario for them um, because he was uh, was a strong part of it, um, and it certainly doesn't feel like they have that sort of um, cohesive, like full on attacking mentality that we've seen from successful Dallas teams, um, but they the pieces are there. I think that maybe the frustrating part if. If, if you're Dallas, is that Dallas seems to have been in a, a, a extended the pieces are there period. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is sort of like a new a new version of that. Well, and and really unfortunately, I feel like Andrasic was a key piece of like the next step for FC Dallas. Um, you know, and, and like I totally get his reasons for leaving, which we don't know much about other than. Uh, a family reason but it, it just seems like FC Dallas like it just can't catch a break this season despite that I think they've been playing some okay soccer it's not been an um, amazing um, <laughs> feat by any stretch but they haven't been terrible defensively they've been pretty good you know they're sitting just below the um, the playoff line I, I still think FC Dallas can do more with what they have this season than what they've done so far. So I, I although the the odds are stacked against them, I feel like they're doing the right thing and, and sticking to their plan. And if we're talking about teams lacking identities, FC Dallas certainly isn't one of those teams. I don't think with, with the schedule, we have no idea how many more games uh, Dallas is going to play against Houston. But certainly getting the 2-1 result, with those, uh, with the nice goals from uh, Ricarte and, and Hara, uh, they could have a chance at, uh, at taking home El Capitan. Yeah, that's true. They're big cannon, <laughs> which I'm sure is you know if you're if you're in a sort of a middling year, of course MLS is you know the the playoff format is going to allow more teams in, so they're 
no season is truly lost. Well, no. some some maybe, but um, well, I think it might be for DC United. <laughs> it's uh, it's been a tough time for them. Yeah, one win in the last nine games. I just like I honestly tried to prepare to have more to say about DC United, but the more I watch of them, the less I have to say because it's just like it's good at times. They they still look like DC United at times, and then it's like somebody just comes along and pushes over the apple cart, and they lose yet another game. Um, th- their game against Red Bulls, um, their most recent game, I thought was it looked a lot better. They looked a little less deflated than they have in a lot of their matches, but they still lost. Um, and I'm I'm a little surprised that Ben Olsen's side is struggling so much this season. Yeah, it almost sort of puts the uh it's the it's the negative to my saying, Oh, well, we we um you could take Julian Gressel out of it or, or you know, you take Julian Gressel out of Atlanta and you you really struggle. They haven't really found a way to to connect him and Ola Kamara. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is that like when you look at the personnel on the pitch, you're not like, well, there's your problem. It's it's a serviceable team, right? It's, this is a not drastically different team than has had a lot of success. And I don't want to just be like, oh, it's because they're missing Rooney. Like, it's there's there's obviously still some attacking pieces that that need to come for them, but um, they're just really right now in the East. I, I feel like most teams approaching them are, are thinking, you know, we're going to able going to be able to get points out of them. Um, uh, a team that we've we we've talked a lot about this season in terms of their their pace and their ability to score goals as ever is the Houston Dynamo. Um, What's your assessment of them? I mean, they've had a, a ton of games recently. We've got to see a lot of them, and we've seen some parts work really well. But what for you is is missing, or, or what to you is working out for them? I think that some of the challenge for them has been they, so much of their... It feels like a lot of what's been going well for them in some games is individual-based. Right. You know, um relying not not only on on Albert Elise but on the uh on on players who are game changers and who can step up. Memo Rodriguez is uh, hmm. free kick in now that was a game they didn't that wasn't a game they won. But um like, I feel they, like that's kind of how you talk about Houston right now, right? It's like some good parts. Um but also they're not winning those games. Yeah, and and the the challenge that I am seeing for them, the ch- challenge that I see for them, um, I heard a. I don't know how to tr- know what is rumor or what happened in real life. Um, I thought I heard uh, discussions that at least it's not long for the league. Um, and that's going to be a real problem for them. Uh, again, it's not the only player that they rely on, but I think that he is, uh, he's added a lot of spark, and that will be yeah. as 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 interesting as Houston have been to watch. That is going to be a challenge for them if they uh, find themselves operating without him. 
A massive one, yeah. The the last thing I saw today is apparently oh. he's now in Portugal. So I feel like unless <laughs> something goes wildly wrong, which, you know, it happens, but I, I feel like he's likely gone. And, and that just leaves a massive, massive hole for Houston. Um, and a team that, you know, they don't have deep pockets. It's a strange transfer market right now. I'm sure they're scrambling, trying to look for... Um, some replacements but you know of course they don't have Kyoto anymore either like it's just the the pace and attacking finesse that we've seen out of Houston at times it really does feel like it got on that plane with <laughs> with Elise a little bit it was like Christian Ramirez has been a bright spot for me I, I still think he, wherever he goes he's been great um it it's the team product that's still lacking I loved uh the sport of Kansas City the Sporting Kansas City 2 Houston 5 game with Elise scoring in the 15th minute. Allen pulled a block shot. Valentin tries to clear, bounces off the crossbar to Johnny Russell, who scores it uh, to make it 1 1. Um, Ellis runs down the right to find Ramirez for a goal. Ellis, uh, Elise then leaves it halftime, but he, uh, he's got a goal and assist by that point. Um, and then Nico Hansen, who comes on for him, scores right away. Uh, Alan, uh, Gaddy Kinda scores for SKC, um, in, off of Alan Polito, who I don't, I haven't seen his name on the score sheet a lot, but I see his name in assists quite a bit. Yeah. Or, or having started off a thing. And then who ends the game? Darwin Quintero. Scoring to, to wrap it up, yeah. including a give and go to himself, <laughs> which he's been known to do from time to time. Okay, well we're into the fun stuff now. Um, LAFC. I'm gonna let you start with this one. <laughs> <sighs> oh, what a time! What a time that they have had to be alive because I think that. There are a lot of you know in in the current era of MLS they've been uh, they've been trying to have the the games at Bank of California Stadium or sorry they've been having the games with um, in home grounds with fake noise it's on some broadcasts I noticed they try to use like the ghostly real chance of supporters yes uh, in 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 moments which. Especially in a place like Bank of California Stadium, which you associate with such liveliness, um, almost feels like weird. Like, yeah, like it, I, I feel like I'm listening to ghosts. Well, it was actually my wife that brought up this point. She's like, "Do you think they do that to drown out some of the swearing that's happening on the pitch?" Because <laughs> that no became doubt. really apparent in MLS's back, and I'm sort of like, "Hmm, actually, that's a pretty good working theory." So this is a team that has, uh, I, I think that you could say that um, against a lot of the top opponents has, has had real trouble um, following the MLS's back tournament, um, was able to absolutely waffle San Jose uh, 5-1, but that's not the last time we'll hear that from them. <laughs> we'll, we'll hear that about San Jose. Yeah, I think that one of the things that you could say is that even when um, even when Diego Rossi is is not in the the 11 or not 
um, on all cylinders. Sometimes they have been able to um, still have that like very intense style of play and, and still get some results, but they have been incredibly on and off through this period. Yeah, and unfortunately a lot of off. Um, yes, definitely flashes. Uh, Diego Rossi got a, a great goal in their most recent game. You know they get this. They get a big win over Portland. That game was all over the map. Um, but for me, I was I was trying to look for like a moment to talk about where LAFC is at right now and some of their problems because everybody's talked about their problem defending set pieces. We know that that's a given. Um, it's in the three the three nothing loss to RSL, which we we have to go back in time a little bit to get to. Um, on the first RSL goal, there's five players watching the cross come in. And not one of them is marking the two RSL players in the box, including Krylak, who's the one who scores. And that just really seems to sum it up where it's not just, okay, they have trouble defending set pieces. It's, it, they, it's, they don't seem to have a plan for defending set pieces. Like, there's four LAFC players in a row watching the ball. And it's like they've lined up with each other, but none of them have looked over their shoulder to actually see who they're supposed to be marking. It's a cross coming into the box. It's obviously trying to get to the head of a player. It's probably trying to get to the head of the tallest player on their team. <laughs> One of the tallest <laughs> players in the league, I would believe. Like, Krylak is not going to score an easier goal. And it's really bizarre to say that that goal was against LAFC. You know, they've had the, all the pieces that make LAFC good are still there, but you know they're they've been really slow to react at times. Their passing has their passing rhythm has we've only really seen I think like twenty minutes of good LAFC quick passing in the last three or four games. Um, you know, Mark Anthony K has been great. I think Atwesta has been great as well. So it's it's there. You know, LAFC is not in dire straits. They still have an identity. They've got a great coach. They've got great players. Of course, they're missing Vela, but, like, they can, they can I think they can do the thing with the players they have. I don't know how you explain the, the lack of defending on set pieces, especially, and just the lack of intensity coming from them. And it's, it's funny because I was watching a few post-interview um, things with post-game interviews with Bob Bradley and he more or less says the same thing about his own team where he's like I don't know how to explain like it's just not good enough um and that's certainly when you're watching the highlights of these games kind of how you feel you're like well that's not ideal um again I don't think they're in serious trouble I think they'll find their form I think they're finding it a bit a bit already and they'll climb back up the table but uh there's certainly you know making their work cut out for themselves. I mean, they're still in fourth. So to lose a stack of games and still be in fourth tells you just how good they've been. That used to be a team that could count on Walker Zimmerman for um, leadership in the defense. And um, when you've seen Eddie Segura in there, he has, I think that there has been still some of that consistency in, in central, central defense. But one of the things that I see when I'm looking uh, between all of these is that they have just had in in all of those uh, I guess in sort of like those the six games um, following the tournament they 
have had a wide uh, difference in in center back pairing. So Segura and Dan Yakovic, who I like, but has been on the receiving end of some of these challenges uh, or on some of the challenging plays. And it, it, maybe it's because there's a lot kind of put him on his shoulders. Segura and Silva, uh, Yakovic, and or what do we have here in this one? Um, Segura interest in Blackman. Uh, in the RSL game, it wasn't Segura. It was uh, Treore and, and Yakovic. It feels like that's just sort of like a real rotating door in terms of who is being put in those positions. Yeah. And from what I can see from supporters' reactions, they're really feeling the sting of missing Zimmerman as well. And a lot of people asking, like... Yes, it was a obscene amount of money to make on a defender in MLS, but also without having any real backup plan to that, you know, maybe wasn't the wisest decision. And and I think when we get to Nashville, you'll start to see why they spent the war chest of money on him that they did. And that we've seen time and time again, I don't know how many times it will take to get this point across that the MLS teams that invest in their defenders do better period full stop it's not just about having the highest paid and best attacking players you have to invest heavily in your back line as well and the teams that do that with at least one really high caliber center back all of those teams do really well in this league um lafc gave away that that piece without a real replacement and i think that's a big reason why they're paying the price is you know who's Who's shouting on these set plays? Who's who's organizing the team? Because um, it ain't what they got. It was uh, it was it was they at least got their five one night against San Jose with the you know every time you see Brian Bray Phillips Bradley Wright Phillips score it's just like ah yes that's those are the good brain chemicals yeah exactly all is right with the world nature is healing um. I'm about to say a thing that we have not said on this show. I don't know if ever, but certainly not in a while. LA Galaxy are good? Yeah. What? They seem is good and happening. And they they don't they don't I don't know. It it's been they don't seem annoying. They're usually annoying. <laughs> they haven't seemed annoying to me. I think it's because they've been so terrible that to see them do well is a little bit like, oh, okay, like, I'm fine with this. They've been not good for a while. Um, Certainly they will have been uh, lifted by the fact um, that so many of the the matchups that they've had with LAFC since the tournament, um, after after LAFC um, waffled them 6-2 in MLS's back, they have faced them twice and beat them both very decisively. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that, that's exactly the response you want to see. I mean, Christian Pavon's been great. Sebastian Legette has been amazing. Um, it, you know, it's interesting to me. Be, I feel like LA Galaxy's biggest problem right now is Chicharito's back and, and seems to be ready to play again. And I'm almost like, but do you? Because, you know, the, okay, they weren't able to get anything against San Jose recently, but... Other than that, it's nine games unbeaten. Um, they're scoring goals. They're owning the pitch. I, I think their best game so far, or I mean, it, since we last did a show, has was against LAFC. And, and certainly LAFC struggled, but Galaxy ran that match from start to finish. Like, I, I couldn't uh, believe what I was watching. 
In that first one, I, I really think that I like um, the one on, that would be the one on August 22nd. Um, mm-hmm. I felt that they, not only, um, not only did they capitalize, I think that they were able to capitalize specifically on situations where they had the numbers advantage on attack. You, yeah. you look at teams kind of that can't finish their chances. Um, but not only were Galaxy able to sort of get the overloads and, and get the numbers advantage, but really, um, get the most of it with chances and goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the the funny thing is I have like a not a ton to say about them because they've been so good and it's not I don't want to not give them their due but from from top to bottom in just about every game all of the things that we've criticized Galaxy for uh, I feel like they've really addressed it um, they've been much more solid at the back much more calm in defending just getting the the little things right um, and actually marking correctly which does help. And just, you know, and a lot of their attacking players are really hitting their stride right now, and not just individually, but together. And that's been the big difference. Is this is a LA Galaxy team like we haven't seen in a very, very, very long time. Um, so it, it, it's really exciting to see. I think they are going to be kind of like back into the the territory that we've known them for as being near the top of the table. Um, they, you know, they've been steadily climbing up. I think that the best way to use, as you as you sort of talk about the Chicharito conundrum, and I think that this is maybe a positive for a lot of you know um, new star players is um, you have the opportunity not to build things around him. Yeah, you absolutely. have it, instead of taking a player who maybe you know, and and we don't know where I we haven't seen enough of Chicharito to be like. This is where his level at is at compared to everybody else in, in MLS. But it's just like to be able to um, dip the toes into that pool without um, without uh, forcing him to be the the game changing player or the game saving player could um, could be positive for his inter- integration into the team in the league. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um. You know, a team that has not had a, a ton of luck, but has also seemed to finally found something of a stride, is Inter Miami. Yeah, they're an interesting one and, and, and challenging to um, challenging to pin down. Sometimes they they certainly everything is about to change for them again. As Gonzalo Higuain seems to be uh, on his way from Juventus, yeah, and. Uh, and that will certainly improve matters for them. Uh, but they, you know, in addition to uh, their um, their off the the field successes, I feel like they have done this. I think it's true of every team that the schedule has um, given them a lot of opportunities to play the same uh, teams a couple of times, um, and I think that. When we've seen uh, Miami match up with teams that they played in MLS's back or teams they just played, um, there is a little bit of um, well, I get there's there is in some of these cases some improvement because that was my thought when they they had the goal of draw to um, Atlanta and then sort of beat them two one. 
Now they did lose. They did beat Orlando after uh, you know as their as their introduction, and then they just lost to them on Saturday. But I think that it has been interesting to um, to watch their evolution by comparing them in uh, their results against the same teams in different matches. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I, I do feel like I've got a little bit better sense of what they're about now, having seen them um, play some of the same opponents in a row. Um, it's still, you know, pretty sloppy in certain areas. Um, it, for me, it's still a lot like watching an expansion project, right? Like, there, there's some great signings and some great moments, but the the chemistry's not quite there. Um, you know, Pizarro is the real deal, he doesn't always link up with everybody perfectly, but certainly in our most recent game, that changed. Um, Lewis Morgan's been great. He got his brace against Atlanta. Ben Sweat's been really good. Like Again, it's like all the little pieces are there, or many of them are. <clears throat> it's getting them all to work together and, and deliver a consistent result for them. But for a team that's bottom of the East, um, I, I actually think that they've got a lot going for them, and I, I think that it's it's up to them to fight for that that final playoff spot but i you know the teams above them i i think that they just have to get some more wins together and they'll be back in the mix <laughs> i mean i know that that's obvious but like i believe they will win those more games and get back in the mix in that 2-1 against atlanta i uh i have a, a great shout out as well for luis robles who saved a penalty kick yeah. had the penalty kick called back because both sides encro- encroached into the penalty area and then saved it again. So good. I love it. I I love a good triumphant like roar from a goalkeeper when they stop a PK. It's good to see. And Lord knows Robles has done that once or twice. <laughs> um, Minnesota United, they've been kind of, all, uh, you know, pretty good for the most part. Um, certainly this season, I feel like they've been much improved. Mm-hmm. Um sitting at uh, third in the in the west is is uh is a great result for them. Yeah, and and just overall like they've been looking pretty solid. You know, they they did give up two goals um in, at, to Dallas and then they lost to Dallas? Is that right? Uh they lost to Dallas 3-1 and then they beat Dallas 3-2. Um Right. Sorry. They my... they sort of had a stretch they had a stretch there of um, of three of, of four losses in a row, and, and since we last talked, they they lost two one to Kansas City, two one three one to Dallas, three nothing to Houston. But then uh, sort of had that reverse against Dallas, where they were able to get them back three uh, two, and they were also able to light up RSL, who themselves have been uh, have been all over the place. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, but I think if you if you overall track, oh, and they had the one nothing loss to uh, Kansas City on Sunday. Um, if you track what they're doing, Kevin uh, Kevin Molino is great. Uh, Robin Loud is doing really great for them. Um, it feels like uh, defensively we're still not really back to, or, or sorry, uh, what is. Are we, are we, um, is Ike Opara out for a good chunk of time? Because I haven't been seeing him for a while. 
believe so. Yeah, the um, they're trying to uh, to to figure it out with the center back pairing of Michael Boxel and Jose Aha, which will uh, create different uh, different types of recollections for Vancouver Whitecaps fans. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I was um, just looking at Ike Opara's situation. He's injured. Still injured. Still injured. Um, that's been, that is something that they will have to be able to solve with depth. Um, but there's a lot going forward working for Minnesota right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a league that is all about consistency, it, it's good to be consistent, you know? And I think that the major thing to highlight right now is that like every team is going to lose some games. The, the schedule is just so congested and the situation is what it is. So it's going to happen. Like you can be forgiven for losing games. It's how do you bounce back from that? And can you string together, you know, a couple of good results and get, and, you know, keep yourself relatively good in the table. And Minnesota has done that just about as, as well as anyone. Um, uh, a team that has been, you know, a little all over the place, but under very particular circumstances is Montreal Impact. Um, overall, <laughs> overall, under Thierry Henry, they've been, you know, better than last year um, and, and put together some really, really good performances. However, the circumstances are that they've only been able to play the same two teams, one of those teams being TFC. Yeah, you want to talk about you want to talk about teams that have to uh, prove themselves over multiple times against the same pop, same opposition. Um, they yeah the TSC has been uh, has been giving them trouble and they're they have all of the pieces right now uh, to make it work. the The goalkeeper is going great, uh, but they are now sort of at the advanced tactical stage of trying to figure out um, how to uh, how to defeat an opponent that outmatches them or, or, or not beyond how do we make our game work um, how do we sort of interfere with and try to you know tear down some another team's game yeah yeah for me they're they're another club where um defensively they've been pretty good and offensively they've been pretty good it's the thing between the two and it's those midfield battles and you know that's really exemplified against the the tfc games where it's it's there they're certainly in the mix they're certainly competitive but at, at times it's just not being able to keep possession it's you know a couple of bad turnovers um and and just not as tight as it could be overall it's it's not been bad but it it really does feel a little bit like they're they're missing a piece there, you know, a, a big strong ball distributor. And you know, when you see th- when they're playing against TFC with Michael Bradley, it's like, well, it's it's almost like an unfair matchup because you're like, well, Michael Bradley can just run the midfield and kind of run through everyone on Montreal's side. That being said, it's good to see you know Henri has really instilled, I think, a belief in the impact that they are uh, able to come back and, and win games. We saw them do that to Vancouver. Um, it's, and good certainly to, it's good the, to see. In past years, I feel like Im- the impact kind of give up at a certain stage, and I've seen less of that this season. 
And certainly, uh, even though, you know, in in two of the games against TFC, they, they were not able to um, to make it happen. Um, they, I think that the defining moment of the Canadian part of the schedule is uh, Montreal beating TFC and breaking the 18-game MLS regular season unbeaten streak. Yeah. Um, with just a really disciplined performance that, that starts with a goal from uh, Rudy Camacho and, and and holds over the course of the game. Um, I found that one to be uh, really entertaining to watch. Altidore had the, a, a big chance that was saved by Diop. Um, it really felt like Toronto gave them a lot of space. Uh, we had this this weird penalty to Josie Altidore um, where people, uh, I think that there was some, some even from the beginning um, of the penalty, people were wondering, where's the contact on this? Because it kind of feels like if there is a grab, that if there is sort of like holding on the chest that Altidore sort of, I have it written here, uh, collapses like a skeleton toy. Um, and then to top it all off, this kind of seems in, in, in certainly in their next game against Montreal, they scored this second goal to get the result in, in, in one where Montreal was really hoping to get something out of it. And it seemed like that is that was the sort of destiny of this game, except that Pozuelo, <laughs> Pozuelo lays off the kit, the the penalty kick to an on rushing forward, trying to pull kind of a Lionel Messi move um, instead of trying to take the penalty kick, and it, like he plays a short penalty. I could like 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 you hear people on Twitter being like, "Oh yeah, this is this has definitely been done. It's it should be legal," but it's just to to say the words short penalty to play the penalty short, a penalty kick, passing on a penalty kick. I can't. I it it to it it just breaks my brain to even think about. And in this case, um, the player that was supposed to burst off the line um, encroached it because the if you if there's encroachment and the kick was scored, you get to take retake the penalty kick. But Pozuelo's kick was a pass, and it didn't. And so there was no, and so it wasn't scored. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you're sort of like, I mean, should it even be allowed? But I think part of the reason why it is allowed is because it almost never works. Um, so, you know, it's, it's always interesting to see MLS games and MLS players try to mimic things they see in the league. And you're like, I mean, also, just shoot left. You statistically have a better chance of scoring. <laughs> you know, side foot it left, and you have a real, like, a two-thirds chance it's going to go in. But 70% of these things go in. It's just... Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you had uh, Masial almost get sent off, and that's far down to a yellow. Which you saw a couple. You saw some good VAR this. Uh, yeah, in terms of VAR, VAR, VAR has been pretty good in the last stretch of games. Uh, there's you know one or two, uh, maybe two or three things that were a little bit questionable, but nothing I felt like that I saw that was like an egregious thing. I think VAR overwhelmingly has, has really served its purpose. Um, Nashville, a team we've hardly talked about at all. 
Um, and of course, they, they weren't at MLS's back either. So we've only really just been able to see them play, have quietly been putting together um, a pretty good team, it seems. Well, I've been saving my big joke, which is that they showed uh, Atlanta that it's no longer MLS 3.0, it's MLS 4.2. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) it. I mean, their attack is still not there, but... What I like about Nashville is, and we talked They scored about... four goals in that game. Okay. Ar- yes. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I was moving on to the next point and not, not paying enough attention to the thing that was just said. Yes. So that's happening. My other point was going to be though that like, they don't have a, they don't have a single goal scorer that has score, scored more than one goal. So their goals are coming by committee when they're coming, which is great. Like when you haven't been scoring a ton of goals, that's what you want to happen because if that had been four goals all from the same guy sure it's a great result but now it means that you've got added pressure to that player and they're not going to do that every game so the goals by committee thing is great but also and we talked about this um you know when we started to see nashville and the types of players they were buying is that they were going a slightly different route for an expansion side which was to really focus on defense first and they got themselves some great MLS experience, not just in Walker Zimmerman, um, but, you know, in Dax McCarty as well. They've got a great team that they've put together. And, you know, that's paying dividends for them. So, I, I mean, again, it's kind of one of those things when it's working well, you almost have less to say. But I've been really, really impressed with Nashville. And I've been making a point of actually trying to catch more of like their full games just to to see what they're about and it's maybe not the most exciting soccer because it is a little bit more defensively minded but as we know that matters i think you could kind of maybe chalk some of it up to you know like we said with dallas having to just being a step behind everybody because they didn't get to play the tournament um and and these players trying to um, like on the attacking side of the ball, like like figure out better how to um, link up with each other. I think it has been fun to watch, uh, and I particularly I think that Hani Mukhtar has been doing really really good. Yeah. Um, with with you know as you said, only the goal to show for it, but um, or wait no, he's got more than one. he's got Mukhtar has more than one. Uh, oh, maybe he got an assist. Maybe he got an assist because he was. I had the four-two up, and he scored that. But and I had that he scored a, a free kick at another time. Right, he created a goal off a free kick earlier on in the in in one of those yeah, losses. Yeah, like, and he's um, he's been great for sure. Like, and it's always a good thing when people think you've scored more more goals than you have because of your influence. Yeah, he he pops up a lot, and 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 I think that. Even if you mention the defensive part of the game, and, and you know this is a weird period of time for everybody, and, and um, I'm I'm curious what it's like to be a Nashville fan watching at home right now because I think that um, even if it isn't always attacking, I think it's likable and, and, and it has been interesting in their in their uh, opening season. Well, and, and I'm looking at their their top five goal scorers, which I think is just the five players that have scored goals, <laughs> or the most recent five. 
Um, you got Dax McCarty, Mukhtar, Baji, Dave Romney, David Akon. I mean, all experienced MLS players. Like that, to me, just says so much about what what they've built. Um, you know, I, I think that th- things are going absolutely the right way for them, and they've done a really smart thing in building a strong, defensively minded team. Which isn't to say they're not good at attacking, but just that. I really feel like they put a lot of focus on that at the beginning, which means now when things start to click and the attacking side gets a little bit better, you know, you're it means you haven't lost a ton of games in the meantime, or you haven't lost by a, a lot. And so mm-hmm. you've got something to build on when things start to go well. They certainly uh, had the eye-opening result in that 4-2 game where Dominique Baji scores at one minute. Yeah. Which and then they have the extra also pair of goals before halftime. A big symbol of where things are at for Atlanta right now. When it's 56 <laughs> seconds in, you've got Dominic Badgey celebrating a goal. Things have gone poorly. I was like, I was like, uh, I was throwing the game on while I was working in the background the the day after it had happened, and I was just like, I did, I barely turned around, and I was like, hey, what? Yeah. Yeah, you're like still you're washing up and getting ready to sit down and watch the game and they've already scored a coil. Uh, and a team that we love and a team that we've been really impressed with in New England has been, you know, hanging in there, doing all right. Um, our, one of our favorite, very underrated strikers in MLS, Till Bunbury, has been back at it. Um, so... For me, I kind of look at New England and think a pretty similar thing to Nashville. Um, I think they're probably fairly close in the table as well, which is that, like... Neck and neck. Pretty neck and neck, yeah. And, and, like, New England isn't winning a ton of games, and when they're losing, they're not losing by a lot. And so, again, it's a symbol of, like, overall, things are mostly there. Um I, I still feel like where they had success last season when Bruce Arena came in is all of a sudden they were just putting a lot more pressure on teams. And I feel like they've kind of pulled back from that a little bit. I know it's probably to focus more on the defensive side of things, but it it just seems a lot like they're sitting back at times and kind of inviting the pressure. And then when they do break, it's just not always the, the quickest, you know? Like, it's a slower buildup. So it's parts of it work, but for this side and for the types of players they have, I really I would like to see more of New England moving forward with a bit of pace because when they've done it, i.e. when Teal Bunbury has done it, they've been scoring goals. I think sort of the 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 quintessential game in this uh in this sequence is their um oh I had it and then it went right away the the august 25th win against dc in in dc where sort of or maybe not the quintessential one but the 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 memorable one would be this one where they they scored on the uh corner kick on 26 minutes and then there's a 46 minute weather delay uh Uh, that seems to be a trend this season with tl bomberry heading home a corner and matt turner with a big save on ola kamara um, to uh, to hold the result, even though uh, Scott Caldwell got sent off for a, a crunching tackle on Felipe. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, th things for me are, are looking, like, pretty good there, but, um, you know, maybe still missing one or two pieces. But they're they're in the mix, which is, you know, I, I think probably what Bruce Arena might expect. Um, a, a team that, you know, we've talked about the struggles of and a lot of people have been pretty down on for a while of just not looking like themselves and not having an identity as much um, since David Villa left is New York City FC. Um, how are things looking for them now to you? I think they've had um, an up and down uh, time since the tournament has ended because they have uh, they've got a, a a nice bushel of wins against um, Columbus, Chicago, New England, and Cincinnati. Uh, they have. Uh, had some trouble with uh, sort of the they they lost one nothing to the um, the rejuvenated New York Red Bulls um, and uh, and I think that some of these uh, some of the the games where they weren't able to pull it off are kind of heads are kind of head scratchers mm -hmm. um, but we've seen plenty of of what I've noticed is as like sort of um just the sort of solid mid-season NYC win where they get a couple of goals and and manage to hold everything in or, or manage to hold off whatever the other team is doing and but don't necessarily but there isn't necessarily a lot of uh back and forth mm -hmm. yeah yeah I mean it's it's good to see players that have been good for them in the past hitting their their stride a bit and, and performing um you know and, and like ultimately pretty good results for them um i i haven't seen many games of theirs recently where i i've been like disappointed i mean either by the result or just by the way that they've approached it like they look you... a lot more disciplined than they have at points maxi morales came came back from an injury and left a game with an injury <laughs> It's a uh, it's no. it's a rough year for him, and and that's not necessarily you know that's that's a side effect of doing all these games, and and that's something that MLS has to look at as you know something that they are putting on the players. Absolutely, yeah. Um, team that's been struggling mightily, and despite uh, a recent good result, is the New York Red Bulls. Um. You know, okay, they beat DC 2 nothing, And that's the first game they'd won in a little bit. But, you know, when you look at their... Who would traditionally be their, their big opponents, I mean, they lost to DC at the beginning of September. Then they lost to Philadelphia 3 nothing, And then they got this 2 nothing result against DC United. Um, yeah, you'd still expect better out of that stretch of games. It, it It's just it's all over the place for them, you know? And I, I don't, I don't understand because they've got such a good team, you know, and it, I feel like they are really missing Alex Mule. Um, that's a player I'd forgotten had left the club. Um, and who he's now with Nashville, right? Um, Cause he got a goal that was disallowed for them, uh, but just, you know, 
I I don't want to put everything on on one move, and certainly I don't think it is. But I I, I sort of feel like for where they're at, why not just keep BWP? You know, <laughs> for all the troubles that they've had this year, it's like they could have at least had a guy that could score goals, could pick the t- take carry the team on his back, and at least get you a couple of results. But overall, the Red Bulls have been pretty dreadful this year. I, you know. It's been a transitional year, and, and I think that it was almost a little strange for them to um, have let go of Chris Armas when they did. Uh, obviously, I think that some of those July games and, and and the first couple of results when they were in August didn't look really didn't look very good. And um, and you have seen since then for their uh, caretaker manager. Um, some games that seem a little bit more Red Bull-ish. Um, but they're certainly between, you know, uh, even though they're um, hovering around the playoff line, they are certainly uh, between one place and another. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Orlando had a great tournament to MLS's back and... I think have been one of the very few teams from that tournament that's really just sort of picked up exactly where they left off. Um, And despite not winning the thing, I think really just, you know, made that into gasoline that they're pouring on the fire. Um, They've been drawing with teams, but as I always say, if if you're not winning, don't be losing. Um, so they've been doing that one one against Nashville, one one with Atlanta, and then they get this big result over Inter Miami and win two one. Um, yeah, definitely things that could be improved. But overall, you have to think like this is by far the best Orlando City side we've ever seen. No, I think so, and I think that there have been there have like you know there's been some build to this, and certainly last year we said you know mm. um, like. Last year wasn't terrible um, in terms of you know the 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 evolution was was beginning and you could sort of see them uh, try to put something together that is um, that is good but they really seem to have been getting a lot of the results um, against Miami against Minnesota against Nashville um, and it has been uh, certainly they were one of the the. Uh, the big stories of the tournament, but they also were able to um, get good post result tournaments or post tournament results um, with goals from Chris Mueller and Junior Urso in that three uh, one win against Atlanta on the 29th. Yeah, I also feel like a big thing for them has been with Dom Dwyer out. Um, Daryl Dyke has really come in and filled that second striker role nicely and, and yeah a super sub and i mean he's started some games as well i believe but you know when when you talk about clubs that are doing really really well usually it's a case of you know all their their best players are performing and then also their players who have maybe been traditionally a bit more on the fringes are also really hitting their stride that's exactly what you want i mean the best teams are able to lose a player like dwyer who admittedly has struggled a lot in Orlando. Um, but to, so he, I mean, he's always favored to, to start or at least play some minutes. Um, when you have a player like that fall out of favor or, um, 
be out with injury, you need your um, your your reserves to be able to step in. And we saw that last year a bit with actually with the Red Bulls, where you know without some star power, some other players were able to come in and make a bit of a name for themselves. So I I just really feel like you know this is the Orlando City side that the the supporters have always deserved. I know I've already said that with another team, but you know, Orlando's been through a lot as a as a city and as a club, and I, I think that they've absolutely got the right man to to lead them forward in Oscar Perea, um, and they've got a fantastic squad. So I'm I'm not surprised that they're doing as well as they are. And you know, when we haven't even seen a ton of like Golazos from Nani, so they've been doing it as a team, which is all the more impressive. Absolutely. We have two left in the East, right? Uh, Philadelphia and Toronto. Yep. Uh, what are, what's your What's your take on Philadelphia in this uh, in this post tournament era? Um, like overall, pretty good. <laughs> you know, um, it, they've. I feel like they had a weird tournament. At MLS is back. I expected more from them. Um, I know a lot of the talk around them right now has been the future of Brendan Aronson, because that'll obviously be a big... It feels kind of inevitable that a, a club is going to snap him up. But what a success story for, you know, their academy. Um, But, you know, they get they get beaten by Columbus, which, again, will happen to you. Um, they blank Red Bulls 3 nothing, and then they beat New England 2-1. So I've been pretty impressed, you know? I'm... Jim Curtin, to me, is just, like, one of the calmest coaches in MLS. Like, he, he sticks to his guns, and even when things aren't really going his way, like, he, he's going to put the same players out, play the same system. And I think that's that's showing how essential that is sometimes, to just stick with what's working, even if it's not working completely all the time. He's not really much of a tinkerer, is he? Like, he, he likes his squad, mm. and, and he likes to play a certain way. And that's that's served Philadelphia really, really well. And I think it makes it much easier for players to come in, whether they're younger, whether they're transfer, and, and be able to really see what the team's about and fit in better. Because there's been a lot of turnover at the Union in the last few years. The um, I think that they have been... They've had more... Uh, they've had an up-and-down time sometimes with Casper Shabelko, who is amazing. Um, yeah. But in you know, and, and when they have faltered in the playoffs, it is it has been this lack of sometimes a lack of connection. Uh, but Shabilko has been great with lots of games where he gets one or two goals. Um, also, Anthony Fontana came on as a substitute and uh, scored both goals in the game against New England, including one in stoppage time. Yeah, yeah, he's he's um, switched on and scoring goals, and that's working out well for them but i i still just feel like as a overall as a team it's still really hard to to beat philadelphia union not just literally but figuratively as well tfc started this canadian swing so strongly they they even though they didn't have the best tournament they came in and those two wins against vancouver um, partially because of where the Whitecaps were at, just made them look like absolute uh, stunners, um, and they then get that one nothing win against Montreal, 
But then they lose against Montreal, they lose against Vancouver, and they beat Montreal, but they don't really, they look like they could be, depending on uh, how things go tomorrow between Montreal and Vancouver in the uh, in, in the final game of the Canadian Swing, they may not make the Canadian Championship final against the uh, the winner of Campiel's Island Games. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, I think Greg Vanny's got to be a pretty frustrated coach right now. Um, despite relatively good results, you know, an okay MLS's back tournament. I mean, not great. Um, you know, they they did lose to Vancouver, and it did seem like a big stunner. We should also note Michael Bradley was not available for that game. So, you know, a giant piece that controls the whole, whole flow of their game was not present. Um, not to take anything away from Vancouver's win, it, it's also so hard to judge a team based off the fact that they've played the same two opponents in the last four matches. So it's like we sort of have an idea, but we know how TFC performs against these two <laughs> these two specific teams. But I still think Vanny's got to be pretty frustrated that they haven't um, put more in. I feel like Chris Mavinga, who we've been down on certainly on this show, has just entirely turned things around and been much better. Still, you know, a little aggressive sometimes and can still be liable to, to make the wrong move or to, uh, to rack up a card or two, but for me, he's just he's turned into this this stunning defender. Um, it's Simon less so. I, I mean, Lawrence Simon's been a bit of a wanderer in the last few years, and I know he's had a, a tough time, but it just needs to be much better um, in Toronto's backline. D- defensively, I think their shape is okay. I think tactically, they're usually set up pretty well. It's it's down to a lot of individual mistakes and just kind of switching off at key times. So it's certainly not a crisis moment for Toronto, but they've thrown away a lot of points recently. And you have to feel like heading to DC, this is a a really big game for them and they they have to get some points out of it because it's going to be a tough one against New York City FC. Richie Larea looks great. Nick DeLeon looks great. Um, Josie Altidore is winner against Montreal and he goes and shushes the, what, five fans in attendance at Saputo. It's Dad Saputo. Yeah. Um, They've had some good. Uh, they've had some good offensive contributions. I obviously they're getting results from Pozuelo and Piatti, but I feel like their uh, their um, partnership is still evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with NYC. Absolutely. Um, turning our attention back to the West, we've got Portland Timbers. Um, they have shown flashes and are a little bit confounding at how good they can be at some points and then how poor they can be at others. Yes. Um, they, who did they win against recently? Why am I? Missing that. They beat Seattle 2-1 um, beat... on the 6th. Right. And, and it cost them. <laughs> so they did it. <laughs> and I can't even remember the full list of players. I think most of them are not long-term injuries. But in, in that win, 
um, Sebastian Blanco tears his ACL and is out for the rest of the season. So, although it was a big result, that's their key player gone. And um, a, a player that we've talked about recently is really being a, a big reason why they've been doing better. So, you know, I have a note about their game against LAFC where, just as an example of their defending at times, especially you know, once they're in their own box, it's Bradley Wright Phillips is wide open to take his shot. The only person challenging him is Jeremy Abobasi, who's running back from, like, the halfway line because he sees BWP. And that, to me, is just like a... Guys, you don't need to make this so hard on yourselves. Like, you're better than this. You're a good team. What's happening? Um, Yeah, great attacking play in lots of areas that they're really going to struggle now without Blanco, and they have. But defensively, they're just so porous. I mean, they're not picking up runners. They're not marking in the box. Um, it's... It, I feel like every time we talk about Portland, it's like from week to week, you don't know what you're going to get. And we can talk about them winning a great game and scoring a ton of goals and looking really switched on. And then the next game, it's they're just getting run over. So... You know, the task for Savarese is really to find that depth in his squad now. It's great. Abobasi has been fantastic um, throughout MLS's back tournament and now, um, and doing all sides of the job really well. But my big question about Portland is, is that going to be enough? Especially missing Blanco for the whole season and, and the playoffs if they're able to stay in. I, I just feel like that's going to be a real big crushing blow for them. Pre pre Blanco, I would have said that that what these uh, what twenty twenty has said about Portland um, is that they are a team that um, regardless of where they are on the table and they sit sixth in the West, which is not necessarily like the um, the shiniest position, um, they could still on their day be a contender with any team in the knockout situation, as we learned in that so MLS. Now, the question is going to be how they can evolve. Certainly, they have a lot of um, they have a lot of great pieces. Eric Williamson has been doing great in these games mm. um, that are emerging or, or getting to the right place. I also like where Abobasi is at. Um, but certainly, Sebastian Blanco is a player unto himself, and, and it's challenging to patch up what he does for the team. Yeah, I mean, when we're talking about one of the the best attacking midfields in MLS, it's it's like, it, this isn't a, it, you know, sometimes you build your team around a fantastic player and for good reason. And, you know, yes, they still have Diego Valeri, but Blanco's got the legs to run. And that's what they don't have in Valeri. So it's it's going to be challenging times for them ahead. Um, I like team... the winning goal they had against uh, Seattle where Mora springs the run at a great moment to stay onside. Yes, yeah, yeah, some brilliantly timed runs. Um, Real Salt Lake, bless their cotton socks, get <laughs> get a big win against LAFC. You know, their set pieces are working well, their attacking players are switched on, and they're picking up second balls. Um, and then they lose 5 nothing to Colorado. So Let me read you, let me read you some numbers. Okay. I'm just going to read you the results here. Love it. 4-1 win. 4-4 tie, 2-2 tie, 4-0 loss, 
Three nothing win. Five nothing loss. What is happening? I mean, okay. So it, it's it's almost like where do you begin with this? Like some of this, I think, has to do with the schedule. There's a lot of games in a short period of time, and I don't think anybody's kidding themselves thinking Colorado's going to go in and you know get 12 points out of four games. Like they're gonna they're gonna give up some goals, but. I mean, it it really has just been all over the map for them. Um, you know, Justin Merrim's been good. I sort of forgot he played for them now, but he's he's been good. Um, there's been moments, you know, Demir Krylak has been good at points. Albert Ruznak has been good at points. Um, overall, it's been pretty not good. And despite some some really big wins, it's like LAFC struggles against teams that play like them. RSL plays like them, just not as well. Um, RSL is a team that likes to really attack. They love the counter. They're a quick team. They like to move the ball quickly. But when they turn over the ball um, defensively, oh my goodness, just not not good. And a lot of this looks like the games that they've won, you know, they're using their pace and they're using their movement of the ball to do it. But I sort of feel like there's been a moment of, like, capitulation from the other team. And that, and then they've won by these large margins, which makes you kind of be like, oh, okay. But then what you don't get to see is because they don't have to defend a lot. There's just no pressure or really much marking happening, especially on set plays. And so... It's interesting to me that they beat LAFC so profoundly because they they have a lot of the same qualities and the same deficiencies as LAFC, <clears throat> and certainly without the same the star power there. But it is just so all over the place for them, which feels kind of familiar. Like, is that just their <laughs> team dynamic? That's just their identity. Is like whatever, anything can happen. Score a goal, concede some goals. Who knows? Why are you guys here? Like, it's just. I, you don't know what to expect from them. Um, they're sitting eighth. I think they could probably hold on to that spot, probably make it into the playoffs and probably beat somebody. But I keep thinking, like, as an RSL fan, you, your assessment of the team has to just be like, what is the way forward out of RSL being pretty good and kind of underdogs and then just really sucking sometimes? They had these two, in, in both of the, the draws against Portland and Seattle, they essentially, like, were these, were were constantly finding ways to get themselves back into the game. Um, after Diego Chara scores on uh, six minutes in their game against Portland, you have Baird scoring on 19. And then uh, Portland are able to run the score up to, to 4-2, and then Giuseppe Rossi and Sam Johnson score both in second half, half stoppage time, which is like phenomenal in terms of thinking about the ability to to press late and and, and think we're going to turn this four two game into a result. Yeah. Um, but like you say with the RSL fan, I would be asking, where is this in the other? Where is this in some of the other games? Mm-hmm. 
And the fun continues, because next we're talking about San Jose earthquakes. Oh my, oh my, uh, <laughs> the, uh, I think that if you, once you looked at what was happening in, in MLS's back, where they, they, um, where they did, uh, I think that, I don't think that they got, did they get, uh, they, they did okay at MLS's back, right? They, they won, um, Three of those group stage games, and you, you definitely wouldn't have said you know, like this is a terrible season for them. This is going to go really badly. Um, but on the return to regular play, they have just been waffled. Five uh, one against LAFC, seven uh, one against Seattle, and then a nil nil draw with LA Galaxy. At which point, again, I write, "What's going on? What's the? What is this league even?" Yeah. Yeah, it was um <clears throat> like so they they lost in the MLS's back quarterfinal to Minnesota 4-1. So it's pretty pretty big blowout that's significant. Um and then they lose to LA Galaxy 3-2. Then they lose to LAFC 5-1. At that point you've got to think like, wow guys, it can't get much worse. Then they draw 1-1 with Colorado. And then this game against Seattle just lays everything completely bare. Um, And it's a pretty, like, it's really one thing, but it's an important thing. The man marking, or lack thereof, does not work. Not in this league, and I'm not sure any league. Almeida's system, full stop, does not work. Or does not work full stop. (laughs) It's awful. The idea that you just don't have any real system when you're attacking means that every single time a team breaks against you, all of a sudden, nobody knows who they're supposed to be marking. So you just have tired San Jose players running back, looking ruefully around, hoping to find a player to pick up, which usually means there's just a clump of San Jose defenders staring at each other or looking at one person who has the ball and just getting scored against. I mean take nothing away from Seattle, but they've been kind of dicey at times. I This game did not need to go this way, and it was just so easy for Seattle. It, almost every single one of their goals, it, like they basically were able to walk it in. And it's because there's no proper marking system, and what um, Almeida's been trying to do there, just it doesn't work. It, it doesn't work. The weird part is, is that it's not as bad as past earthquake teams in recent <laughs> seasons, even though they're kids. You're right, you're right, I know. Like, like, uh, like no. could you look at that and say, <laughs> well, well, the answer to the thing that you just said is, well, then they need to fire Almeida. But, yeah. I mean, I but, still think that's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> but there is, like, almost a challenge with, with, thinking that way just because just because it's, it 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 doesn't seem like this is a team uh in some ways it doesn't feel like this is a team where the bottom has fallen out but you're absolutely right there's no marking in the man marking like yeah. there's some like i've been ju- trying for all season to figure out what the man marking system was and finally realized in the seattle game it there isn't one like it, it really the biggest thing to me is that 
it's clear the squad doesn't understand what they're supposed to do, or they're just resigned to the fact that it doesn't work. But it's one of those two. Uh, Chris Wondolowski keeps picking up penalty kicks in, in his one here. Uh, prevents this game from reaching towards the record, but it does seem to be the the like the 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 A form of offense for um the one yeah, which is like sure. You know, it's good to have that in your back pocket as MLS's all time lead scorer to, to do that. Unfortunately it shouldn't have been a penalty, but I, I think at a certain point the referee is just like, Oh whatever. Look, why don't you put the ball down right in front of the net and see if you can kick it in? <laughs> Embarrassing. Um Speaking of <laughs> the Sounders, they've been a little all over the place. I think it was a, a pretty disappointing result against Portland for them. They lost 2-1. Prior to that, they drew 2-2 with Real Salt Lake. And, you know, they've they've struggled a bit. But it's clear that, you know, Brian Schmetzer said to his team after the defeat to Portland, it needs to be better, and it needs to be a lot better. And apparently they listened, because then they came back and beat San Jose 7-1. And as awful as San Jose was in that game. Everyone who's seen the game has said this. Also, Seattle was great. So (laughs) it was sort of like a a worst case scenario for San Jose Earthquakes, because it wasn't just that they were bad, it's that they were so bad against a Seattle Sounders team that looked the best they've looked in years. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly there could have been other uh, other nights on the schedule where they they, they might not have been uh, punished so much, but I think that you um, you look that in in the other games that Seattle has been winning, including the uh, the three nothing win against Portland, you've been getting great great goals from Raul Ruiz Diaz. Calvin Leardam has been scoring a lot for some reason, um, and. Uh, the uh, didn't we have two? Didn't, I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find the game that had uh, the two goals for Jordan Morris uh, in the 48th and the 49th. He had a really strong result against LAFC. Um, yeah. I think that they're in a good spot in the table. They're getting good results against teams that they might have to face in the playoffs. I think that this, you know, there's there's. It, Obviously, problems to solve, but it's not going too bad for them. No, and and they're, I know this sounds silly, but like they're the right kinds of problems to be solving at this point in the year. It's like it's little things, it's details that matter, and it's the details that make the difference between an MLS champ and not. But that's the fight that Seattle is in right now: is to go, are we going to be a championship team this year, or are we not? But the thing is, when you put yourself in that position, you end up in second place and you've got some wiggle room. Like, it's not just about dominance and, and climbing up the table. It's it's that, you know, you're able to keep yourself in a good position overall so that when you do lose a couple of games or have a, a couple of tough results, you're actually not even really sliding down the table at all. So I think we've seen time and time again in MLS how much of a difference that makes, and that's part of the reason why TFC and Seattle keep exchanging the battle for supremacy is because the the clubs are set up in the same way, where they've reached a, a certain level 
and it's about maintaining that or trying to go higher, which means that you can falter a little bit without too many harsh consequences. Um, the thing I'd say is like this, they've, they're playing LAFC next and then Portland again right after. And so two teams that have a lot to prove and are also kind of all over the map. And Seattle needs to just stay the course, stay focused on what they're doing well, you know, and hope Jordan Morris has his kicking boots on. Uh, I, it looks as though our, our remaining two Western teams are at the top and the bottom of the table. So let's <laughs> uh, let's start with Sporting Kansas City. Let's start at the top. <laughs> oh, Sporting Kansas City. Um, always fun to watch. Where what do, what do you have to say about them right now? It feels like they're in a lot of these uh, these these. In, they did have the five uh, the five two lost to Houston and they were a, but it seems like a lot of what is happening for them is very tight one one draws one nothing wins two one wins or losses um they are attempting to uh i i think that they're they're they i see them as being in this fighting posture and and you're seeing good goals from um from Russell, uh, but it'll be interesting. I think that like when we've seen success from Sporting Kansas City, they have that discipline defensively, and certainly we're seeing that a little bit here. Um, and they being able to get the results is has put them at the top of the table. Um, the ability to change games is sort of the next level up from that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and like, the goal scoring's been there. It's just been a little bit um, still kind of leaky at the back, something that you're not used to seeing as much from Vermeer's side. So I know that that's going to be a big thing they'll be working on is is trying to lock in a few more um, clean sheets. But, you know, despite... It's funny, again, you, you have these teams that you, you talk about the issues and you're like, oh, it's not quite there, but they're sitting, you know two points ahead of Seattle at the top of the table. So it's like, you know, maybe not life altering problems. They're, they're there. Um, and we've seen this before, right? We've seen sporting Kansas city go top of the table, stay there for a bit. Uh, the big question is always, what's the postseason going to look like? And yeah. given some of the results that they've had recently, you, you have to think like for me, is not sitting at the top of the table being like, ha we've got it. It's, um, and certainly not in that voice. There's there's still a lot of work to do for them, but again, it's good to have a lot of work to do when you're at the top of the table. It's true. Uh, Kyrie Shelton also looks good for them. Oh yeah, yeah, he's been uh, a big standout player for them. Tim Melia, I feel, has been uh, pretty decent, although left out to dry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and that's the worst part with teams that have s- such good goalkeepers, right? Is is when their defense is not helping them out. I mean, like, Brad Guzon's in that territory right now, where it's not like he's not performing. It's just, what do you do when you're being peppered with shots and, and letting players through? So, yeah, I'd like to see some, a bit more, like, it, it's almost like a mentality thing. Like, they just switch off at the wrong moments. It's it's not across the board bad. It's not a bad shape. It's not bad marking. They're okay on set plays. It, it really is just like at key moments, someone's not paying attention or somebody doesn't track a run. 
they don't put enough pressure on the player sitting at the top of the 18, it gets cut back, they get scored against. Like, it's not... It's not out of the realm to fix these problems, I feel. Right. The... <laughs> I just started... I I read ahead to the Whitecaps and I just yeah. already have... My... my... My mood is all my will is, to is live dropped is just thinking about it. Ugh, I think there was a reason why we didn't go reverse alphabetical. <laughs> uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps have had a rough time. We we talked about the three nothing to Toronto and and in certainly the other games in the Canadian series have looked better in 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 terms of not just dropping back and constantly trying to to hold things off. Um in in the Whitecaps' final third, they've they've been able to carry the ball into the middle third, uh, in the in the lot in the one nothing loss to Toronto and the two nothing loss to Montreal, and then certainly in September they have had just these um these very chaotic games where uh where they were able to 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 pull a result against Toronto and and uh. And even though Toronto had been a game themselves, uh, you know, I I didn't necessarily think that losing to Montreal was going to make them like terrible. Um, but Lucas Cavallini got his goal uh, to put the uh, put the Caps ahead off of a ball from Adnan. Um, Jonathan Osorio equalized, and then Michael Baldissimo scores with a with a great you know um, that great. Moment to see a, a a homegrown player do great, and Jake Derwinski, after Pozuelo again equalizes. Jake Derwinski scores um, to get the win. This is one where the Whitecaps continue to keep coming back, and that is the games <laughs> that make the games that make everybody really sad are the games where the Whitecaps don't try, and there there are the rare ones like the one against. Uh, at the beginning of this year against LAFC and the one against um, uh, Chicago in the, in the group stages of the tournament. Um, But it has been in some senses uh, or LA galaxy at the beginning of the year where they won. Um, But in some cases it has been hard to see that level of of bounce back Uh, at times. This game against Montreal, the 4-2 loss, looks like it could be another Sporting Kansas City 6, Vancouver 1, because even though Theo Bear scores early on, they just um, they start running up the goals, and it doesn't really even seem a challenge for them to do that. Um, Safir Tider uh, is solved by Thomas Hassel, who somehow became an MLS starter without anybody noticing. Um well, well, I think I mean, he noticed. He noticed, and we all noticed when he. Everybody noticed when he got subbed in, but it was just sort of like you got a blink and be like, "Oh, this is like game six. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we just we just trust that he's going to be in there every game until until he has a a tougher game, and this might have been a soft game for him. Um, well, and. I mean, it certainly wasn't his best. It was definitely his worst performance in a Whitecaps jersey, but I still don't think it was the worst. I mean, giving up the... hmm? For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's... 
it's tough. You know, he he gives up the PK, and it does feel like it really hits the team hard. However, I, I mean, I've seen Nick Romando do that. I've seen Tim Millia. Tim Millia's done that recently. Like, when you're out and you, you think you're the only player defending, right? Like, at that point, the players beat everybody. He he has to make a choice to come out, and sometimes he got a bite. Sometimes that you don't get the timing right. Um, you know, sometimes that's partly the player selling it. I think this one is kind of all Hassal just sweeping out the feet. It happens. It, it To me, it's not emblematic sure. of a larger issue. It's just it's the wrong move at the wrong time. I don't even think it's the wrong decision necessarily. Like, it's Hassal's right to come out and challenge that ball. I don't think he sees Cornelius tracking back to cover for him, which is why he makes this desperate leap to try to win the ball. So, you know, maybe there's some mis- miscommunication there. But that, to me, doesn't really symbolize the things that are wrong with the White Caps. And Hassel's been one of their best players. I mean, and in a very short wild, list. <laughs> which is wild. And, and I think that his performance has been great. I think that yeah. as, as, a, as a goalkeeper, he's been, like, I think pretty good. Um, I think that he, to our enthusiasm should not mask the fact that, you know, I think that it's, it's, it's uh, not necessarily like one of the great goalkeeping performances, but I think certainly has, has kept the, um, the white caps afloat. And certainly I, you're right that any, any time that the saves have not been there, it's not emblematic of what the problem with the caps is. Um, Lucas Cavalier getting his second yellow uh, and getting sent off felt like that's that's one of the other things that made me think of you know Romel Kyoto scores right afterwards. That's one of the things that made me think of the six one game where mm-hmm. it's just even though Cavallini got his goal, he just sort of had this um, temperous performance. <laughs> I mean, he he was definitely riled up, and it was a, a gritty game. A, a pretty spicy affair up to that whole point, but it really did feel like, you know, Cavallini was the aggressor in all of those previous situations. Um, you know, I, I think it was pretty hard to argue the first yellow, and very hard to argue the second yellow. Um, you know, his trailing foot catches Diop in the face, but it, and it's everything that comes after. Then he gets sent off. And then, you know, he's arguing with the referees, going back and having words with Diop. He's, he's getting in the face of the defenders as well. Like, he's not leaving the field. I mean, we haven't seen yet what the additional discipline will be, but it feels like there's definitely going to be some. Um, again, though, the funny thing to me is that that's not even emblematic of the problem. Like, the Whitecaps have not had, as a, a as a team, they've not had major discipline issues this year. Uh, I feel like that's one of the things they've actually been doing a little bit better. Um, it is just a, you know, in the loss against Montreal, you see, you know, Tybert and Owosu look like they're each trying to play two positions each. And they've got this very narrow midfield. And they, they're just allowing, you know, players to just run full tilt at Adnan. Adnan seems to only be able to play one game at a time while carrying. Um, you know, he had a great game the game before and felt like Dos Santos really lit a fire under him. And then he just didn't show up to this one. You know, technically, he's of course, he's gifted and he'll get some chances, but he just doesn't seem interested in the defending part of the game. Um, you know, Adnan's an issue 
and and will I think continue to be a big question mark for them. But you know, as a team, it's you know it's failure to clear balls. It's it, it's the awareness of what's happening around them. It it, it just feels like at times the white caps are overthinking it which i know sounds ridiculous to think some of some of their recent results but it's like they're trying so hard to implement something that's not working and the things that are working are when players are just playing to their natural abilities you know Norwinski gets the game winner he, he comes in for that one um he doesn't start in the game against montreal he comes on you know shortly after they get a goal um, I get, you know, you need to rest some of your players when you've got so many games. So I, d I don't think that's a, the wrong decision to not start them in that game. But my point is, you know, Baldissimo, Bear, Nerwinski, are, to me, are three players that stand out as being better and having more consistent performances. And I think that's because, you know, they play to their strengths and they're overall a lot calmer. But the rest of their teammates sometimes, it's like somebody's just yelled fire and they're looking for an exit and there's a game happening like it it's just they're not aware and it's like they're not thinking ahead you know other teams they've got the next two three passes mapped out in their heads before they make the pass vancouver it feels like every time they win the ball it's like they stop and they're like oh wait okay what now and then within two moves the uh, their opponents have the ball again um, that's a great point and it's something that i always was critical of Imbam Huang for, and, and, and I thought that that was, you know, endemic to his game. He's been doing great with Ruben Kazan in a, in a, in a slightly different position, and, and I don't think that that has gone away as he has not been there. They, they, the, the team talks about needing that midfield, you know, uh, additional help in the midfield, but I think that you're right. It can feel... I think that part of the continuing debate is is how this all should reflect on Mark Dos Santos. And I feel mm -hmm. that when you hear him talk or when you hear Felipe Dos Santos talk, um, there is so much, like, football brain power happening. happening. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, they clearly have thought through um, some sort of strategy to make it all work. Uh, but they just can't, like a like a like a pool player that can see the 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 strike in their head, but can't actually do the thing with their uh, with their hands and their cue. Um, it feels like actually putting the 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 soccer thoughts into progress it, it, uh, just isn't working. That's a beautiful point, and it's put words to a thing that I've been trying to put words to. You know, there's a point in this game where you see Philip DeSantos and Mark DeSantos, they're both standing up and they're looking at each other and they're literally scratching their heads, and they've just conceded another goal. And I think that's part of it. Is it's not for lack of football intelligence and, and tactics and, and all of that. It's that that doesn't necessarily make a great coach. And the thing that's missing is it's like, look, if the players don't understand all the genius stuff that's in your head, it doesn't matter. Like, you might as well just go 4-4-2 and say, like, everybody pick up a guy and hope for the best. Because <laughs> if you're not able to translate your brilliant knowledge and your ideas to the pitch, it doesn't matter. 
And at times we've seen it, it, it has happened. But with the chance to remake this team twice now for Mark Dos Santos, you know, I, I get it's got to come down to the players partially too. But, you know, he's had a chance to pick his squad twice. He's, from what I've seen, I don't see the Whitecaps front office standing in his way of signings. So what's the issue? And I, I think we've talked about it a little bit before, sort of hinted at it. It's like you, part of being a good coach and part of the job is being able to get all of your players from all these different countries and different styles of playing and different languages to focus on the same thing and to have the same approach and to do the right thing and to understand what it is they're meant to do. And I've seen very little of a white cap side that understands what it is they're supposed to do in most of their matches this season. When it works, it works. You know, we've seen Dos Santos beat LAFC and you're like, wow, that's a, a clinical uh, masterclass on, on how to arrange your team and, and when to press and when to sit back. But it's not working. And regardless of how you feel about Dos Santos, I mean, my crystal ball is telling me the Whitecaps will win some more games this season and then they'll fire Mark Dos Santos. Like, they're not going to fire him before the end of the season, I don't think, because it's like, what's the point at this point? But he's had two years. He's had pretty unlimited resources. He certainly had more resources than his predecessors and he hasn't been able to translate it into wins. And that's got to be deeply frustrating, but ultimately I think it's one of the things that we forget about when we talk about managers is that there's so much more to being a good coach than to just buying the right players. And I, I think we're, we're unfortunately like, you know, we're seeing what Dos Santos's ceiling is a little bit. I don't necessarily think if you took him and put him in, in charge of LAFC, the LAFC would... Well, I mean, they may <laughs> maybe a bad example, but you know, like I, I don't think it's just the players. I, I think you could put him in charge of a lot of MLS clubs and, and maybe have similar results. He's not getting his ideas across or the players don't understand it. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but it, it it's it's a it's a problem that I I don't think has an easy fix to it. I think that it'll be interesting. It, I think that that's an interesting way of predicting it because certainly the Whitecaps have won a match of each of each of the three periods of the season. We now move into a time where it's been so chaotic uh, for MLS. It'll be interesting to see how any of these matches go. Every team has uh, you know three or four games now on the schedule while they try to continue to hope to find places for Canadians. Which again, like what that means is, is that it's not safe to travel to COVID evicted places, um, so you can't get over the border. But they're doing it anyway. Um, you, you have seen um, player strike due to uh, police violence in the United States. You've seen De uh, related to that Delroy Hansen talk himself out of three soccer teams. Yep. Uh, in 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 RSL, and you know they've got these continuing series booked, but we've seen these um, the terrible wildfires in Oregon and Washington State and California. Um, they've already delayed uh, the Portland Thorns OL rain game twice in the last week, um, and they've got Vancouver playing home games in Portland. 
Yeah, um, it, it is just a, <clears throat> a like crusade to play more soccer, even when all science, like the sky is falling, and it's like, well, I don't know. Portland's a good market. Think think a lot of people will watch that. Like it's uh, yeah. And it's it's tough to it's tough almost to look at the table and try to figure out where things are going to go from there. But um, it re- you... well, and then too, you're you're seeing most games where it's cardboard cutouts and you know digital effects in the stands, and then you see in Utah you've got you know uh, well not a full stadium, but you never a full stadium there. <laughs> like you know, like it it's just it's mm-hmm. embarrassing. It's I'm actually embarrassed for MLS and I'm embarrassed for. Real Salt Lake that they've got supporters in their stadium. I, I just don't know what they're playing at. I, the magical thinking that seems to exist in little pockets where people are just like, "What? What? Why? Like, why can't we go do the thing like nor- the normal thing?" It's like, look, we're we were stretching a lot of stuff to make this happen. <laughs> um, you know, I'm I'm not thinking like, oh, a supporter's gonna cough into the field and then the whole both teams get sick. It's just like it's for their own safety, like. If this keeps going up, just statistically, someone's like supporters will die. It's going to happen. Promoters, and... promoters are events, and, and this is something that came up in wrestling. You know, there was a promoter that said, "You know, there has to be a middle ground between uh, everybody's going to die, which is an exaggeration, and and uh, so we can't do events and, and, and doing things completely normally." The middle ground is the bubble. You did it. Yeah. That's what you did. And yeah. now every team, every and every sort of like live event business is yeah. trying to push the envelope yeah. more and more. Yeah. And it's, it's, we know that it does not work. That's not how this thing works. Oh my goodness. Dispatch for me on the, on the, the CPL Island games. I know. <laughs> it's so it's so hard with so many games happening. I mean, we haven't talked about CanPL at all. So give us give us something to to chew on here. All right. So we've uh, we've now moved all the way to the final stage of of the Island Games. Throughout the uh, the first group stage, you had uh, Forge FC and Cavalry FC starting strong, um, but despite their dominance last year, teams were being able to pull results off of them. Atletico Ottawa uh, got a 2-0 on them on the 27th, um, and Pacific beat them on the 30th. Um, Pacific, Halifax, Forge, and Calvary were the team that made it into the final round. Um, I think that both Calvary and Forge were um, struck pretty badly by injuries by that point. Um, And... uh, Cavalry, I don't think necessarily like played terribly during that t- period of time, um, but in this second group stage, you sort of had uh, Halifax drawing Forge, um, Cavalry getting their result against Pacific, and uh, in, in Forge doing the same. Um, but Halifax was able to. Uh, Turn the tides against Cavalry, kind of with this, with this um, oddly cautious feeling, where uh, a, a way of playing the game, just given the fact that um, they had a player sent off and they got two penalty kicks, 
they continued to sort of play on a withdrawed, uh, a, a withdrawn defensive way. Obviously, because um, cavalry is so dangerous, even though Jay Wilden had been sent off on the eleventh minute. Um, the and then they just close off by great sort of offensive positioning, holding the ball in the the opponent's third, not uh, but not particularly doing anything with it to 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 close off. And that provided that sort of you know um, kept cavalry from getting any additional oxygen. And in uh, wanderers have been great with uh, the contributions of Joao Morelli and. Um, Everything seems to be clicking. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they match up with Forge, who are still very, um, who are still very good. Uh, they and they are the defending champions, but certainly there's a lot of you know positive energy going on uh, towards the team in Halifax. Yeah. And then the final is this weekend, correct? It's this weekend. In PEI, it caps off a tournament that's been, um, there have been some interesting results. I don't know that a second group stage really was the right solution. Um, some of the challenges that have happened from injuries, there was like a, there's a rule that teams have to play so many under 21 players and then all of, um. like Forge didn't have enough under 21 players because some of them were injured. So like. Like, but there was no pen, there was no punishment set up for like what happens if you don't do it. Um, oh. I think that they made it like the tiebreakers. I'm not sure exactly how they resolve that situation, um, but like, just teams. I think that by the time you got to that group stage, certainly both Calgary and Cavalry and Forge were um, like pretty banged up. Um, the the first group stage I think was like really interesting and and, and featured some some fun games, um, but I do think that overall they've put together a an, an entertaining tournament. But you know it's funny when you tune in and it's like oh this tournament has been a slog. It's like oh well thanks for I feel great about watching that. But <laughs> as a as a Halifax fan, it's been a, uh, it's been a time. Absolutely, and a final to look forward to. I, I mean, I like having these tournaments. I think I think that's uh, if you're gonna if you have to do it, which you don't, but if you're going to do it, you know, the tournament in one central place makes makes some sense. Um, oh boy. Okay, where can we find you online? You can find me online at Team Bates on Twitter www.team-bates.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. And you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and other places where you find fine podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you for sticking with us through this marathon episode. We are deep into stoppage time, but we do appreciate you uh, hanging in there with us. Please stay safe. Please do all the things that you're being told to do by your local health authorities unless they're telling you to do nothing, in which case ignore them. And try to stay at home, wash your hands, and maintain physical distancing. Wow, what a strange, strange time we live in. It's strange also that there's so much soccer happening in and amongst it. But um, there's certainly been lots to talk about.
Certainly. And until we talk again, don't get a second yellow. And don't get into a fight after he said second yellow. Just, it's over. Let it go.